Open your Bibles to uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, or open your smartphones to the book of Ephesians, as we're going to be picking up the triune God and uh, his children from the book of Ephesians, and today we're going to be in chapter 6. I said a couple of weeks ago we were going to start moving towards the end of this book, and so we've got a couple more uh, sermons here uh, the next few weeks, and then we're going to take... Uh, We're going to slow down at the second half of Ephesians 6, uh, where uh, Paul begins to describe the armor of God, and we're going to take a week on each of the descriptions of the armor of God and really slow down and look at what does it look like for us to be equipped as God's people uh, for what is out there in the world. And so um, that's coming over the next few uh, weeks, and I know uh, I've been out of the pulpit a lot this fall with uh, COVID and other things, but uh, I do not plan on being out of the pulpit until sometime in 2022. So, Lord willing, I will be here. (laughs) Um, So, yes, but today we are here in Ephesians chapter 6. Well, one of my uh, all-time favorite movies is uh, Patch Adams. I don't know if anyone's seen this. It's an older movie. Um, But the the beginning of Patch Adams, this movie, uh, starts with this quote. All of life is a coming home. Salesmen, secretaries, coal miners, beekeepers, sword swallowers, all of us, all the restless hearts of the world, all trying to find a way home. It's hard to describe what I felt like then. Picture yourself walking for days in the driving snow. You don't even know you're walking in circles, the heaviness of your legs and the drifts, your shouts disappearing into the wind, how small you can feel and how far away home can be. The question for us this morning is, where can I truly be at home? Where can I truly be at home? In getting to this place in the book of Ephesians, we're going to be dealing with the relationship between children and parents. And in that, I want us to enter this conversation slowly and with caution and gentleness. For some of you, this conversation of parenting and children is very fresh because it's your everyday existence, because you're constantly surrounded by screaming, somewhat snotty children, (laughs) right? I mean by their nose, not their attitude, though that could be true too. Uh, and, And you are constantly surrounded by the difficulty of parenting. I've often said that Parenting is the far, far, by far the most difficult thing I've ever sought to do. Trying to raise children well, teach them, train them, nurture them, and grow them. And for some of you, this text brings to mind all of your parental failures, and you feel God's judgment. Or for you children present with us this morning, some of you feel the ways in which you've disobeyed your parents and feel the heaviness of this text. For others, this conversation comes with pain because you, though you have longed to be a parent, it hasn't happened. Some of you this, come into this conversation severely wounded and traumatized by your own family of origin. Your parents may have abused you or neglected you, mistreated you. And so to hear Paul's words to tell children to obey their parents makes you shudder just a little bit. And not only that, but the idea of God as Father is just too much to bear. Because at the same time, it sounds too wonderful to be true and too terrible to imagine because your earthly parents have been so hard. 
And still others of you have great relationship with your kids or with your parents. And yet there still is this nagging sense that you're not fully home. That even as great as it is, there's something a bit amiss and you still feel like you're searching for home. This morning, I want us to follow an unlikely path to harmonious and God-glorifying relationships in the family. That is, children obeying their parents and parents nurturing their children. And not just physical children, but also the reality of spiritual relationships in the church uh, in which you exercise a level of spiritual motherhood or fatherhood. That there's this relationship, this is a family that we are in today. And I want us to be a harmonious family. And this unlikely path that we all need to follow is that we need to all act more like children. We all need to act more like children. Now, you may be thinking that seems odd, and also it makes a lot of sense as to how you run this church, because we all act like children a lot. But I want us to, to, you got to hang with me, all right? We're going to bring this around, okay? So you got to hang with me. But the idea for today is that we all need to act more like children. Now, in talking about children and parents, I don't want um, any of you to think that this is a sermon specifically for the parents of this church or the children of this church. Like I said, we are all the family of God together, and actually, the Westminster Larger Catechism, one of the, uh, the teaching tools of our church and one of the doctrinal standards of our church, uh, talks about this commandment, the fifth commandment that Paul's going to quote here, honoring your father and mother. It talks about it in terms of, it uses this, relation, or this commandment to talk about relationships that have some sort of inherent power differential. So bosses and employees, teachers and students, uh, pastor and congregation, mentor and mentee. It uses this as a framework of how you ought to act in a godly way with one another. And all of us exist in a world that contains relationships of power differential. All of us are in various places in which we are in uh, exercising authority in one spot and then under authority in another spot. And how do we function in the midst of that? The Bible has much to say about those things, so uh, it's not just for parents and children today, but really for the whole of the church for us to understand how we do that together. All right, so let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. The problem that we have with this text is that we, all of us, even the best of us, fail at being fathers or parents or fail at being those in positions of authority. And the problem is that we, even the best of us, at our very best, fail at being children and obeying our parents, or fail at being those who obey the authorities that are placed over us. And so we wrestle with this text because it actually addresses something that we can't squirm our way out of. It's just super clear. Fathers, have you provoked your children to anger? I will be the first to confess, yes. 
Children, have you disobeyed your parents? Please be the first to admit yes. Also, all adults, you were once children. Did you disobey your parents? (laughs) Yes. This is a universal text that hits everyone and says, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble here. So what does this passage teach us? So what I want to do is, before we get to this path forward, I want to unpack what is it that Paul's actually teaching us here, and then how do we move forward together? So he starts with children. Children, obey your parents. Now, what's interesting here, right, this word obey is very different from the word that we talked about the last time we were together in Ephesians. We talked about wives and husbands together, and it didn't use the word obey. It used the word submit, and that's a totally different word. This does use the word obey. Children, obey your parents. Uh, meaning, as we said earlier, when we were talking about husbands and wives, husbands and wife, uh, husband and wife relationships should not function like parent-child relationships. They're fundamentally different things. Children, obey your parents. And the logic that Paul uses here is that, children, your parents exist for your good. God has given you parents for your good. I want to address specifically the children of our church who are gathered here together today. Uh, those that are in children's church, obviously, are uh, you're going to have to make them podcast this part of the message. Uh, but get their phones out and podcast them, those four-year-olds with their phones. <laughs> Actually, if that's true, we should talk, parents. Uh, <laughs> that's a different, it's a different part of the sermon here. Uh, but the logic of the fifth commandment that Paul quotes here is honor your father and mother. And this is the first commandment that comes with a promise. What Paul points out here is in God's law, as he's walking through the law, the fifth commandment comes with a promise. If you obey, if you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have long life on the earth. Your parents give you commands for your good. Again, this is the ideal, right? This is the ideal scenario, meaning uh, if your parents or your parent was, if you're an adult, but if your parents were abusive, they disobeyed, not you. When Paul says obey your parents, he does not mean absolute obedience. There is a higher allegiance, and that's to the Lord. And so, you belong to the Lord, children, and so your absolute obedience belongs to Jesus and Him alone. But insofar as your parents are honoring the Lord and giving you good commands, you ought to obey them. And it's because, Paul says, it's because, children, you belong to the Lord. Kids, you belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. You are not the church of tomorrow or the next generation. The church is yours today. You belong to Jesus. You are welcomed into this family. You belong to the Lord, children. Jesus, remember, when he is traveling with his disciples, somebody brings a child to him, and and the text is pretty clear in the original language, this is a very young child. And the disciples are like, get that kid out of here. Like, do you not know who you're dealing with here? Jesus has got people to teach. And Jesus rebukes them and says, let the little children come to me. This is why I say it all the time. If your kids are here in the service, during the service and making noise, you don't have to leave. This is for them. 
what kids do is they make noise. Right? That's what kids do. They make noise. I have a feeling that was one of mine. Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) So it's like, you're here. You're a part of this thing. I'm your pastor as much as I am the pastor of your parents. You belong to the Lord and you belong here. And because you belong to the Lord, you must repent of your sins and trust in Jesus and trust the message of the gospel. And you will have eternal life. And because you belong to the Lord, you ought to obey your parents. Because you and your parents belong to the Lord, you need to obey them because even in their flaws, they are pursuing your good. Even in their flaws. And what Paul is saying, that the law is saying, is life goes better for you when you obey your parents. I can't count the number of times Whitney and I tell our children, we are fun people. <laughs> like, people like hanging out with us. We're fun people. We're not trying to be mean to you. If you listen, we will have way more fun. Like, we will have way more fun if there's some structure here to get us to a place. Right? We're not trying to restrict your joy. We actually want your joy. But your full joy. Meaning we have to set up rules and requirements to help you have a full, happy, joyful, wise life. Because we have learned from experience that if you eat tons of sugar and stay up late, you'll feel terrible. Because we did that. And we felt terrible, right? Like we've learned from experience, like that's foolish. We shouldn't do that. We'll have more fun tomorrow if we get some sleep, right? This is why parents exist. Now, it will go better for you, children, if you obey your parents and if you obey godly authorities in your life. Now, I'm not one to often talk about, to to talk bad about current generations because I think, Every generation complains about the next generation, right? It's like, they're the worst. Uh, And we had it right. But I do believe that it is pretty unpopular today to say that in some circles, you might actually be the problem. It's not just that people are trying to be hard on you. Like, you might actually be the problem in going against authority just because you want to. People might not just be being too hard on you. Now, again, I'm saying, I'm not saying that uh, there's, there's no place for an abusive tone or unhealthy expectations or anything like that. But there is such a thing as actual healthy expectations. So children, teens, you should obey those expectations placed upon you by your parents because you belong to Jesus. Because you belong to Jesus and because Jesus loves you and has placed authorities in your life for your good, you should obey them. Now, now it gets hard. It was easy to talk about children, obey your parents. Second half of this passage says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Parents, fathers, those in any position of authority, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not start by ruling over them. This passage doesn't say, 
right? Children, obey your parents. Fathers, rule over your children. It doesn't say fathers, train them. It doesn't say that to start, right? It first says do not provoke them to anger. Do not intentionally provoke your children into responding in anger because of the way that you treat them. It says, bring them up. More literally, it's nurture them. Cultivate them. Provide for them in tenderness. Right? It definitely says, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. But the bring them up is like a word that comes inherent in it with gentleness. Cultivating. Nurturing. Training. Be a father and a mother like God is to you. Nurturing, not provoking. Training, not shouting. Disciplining, not abusing. Guiding, not neglecting or enabling. Well, I'm sure that all of you who are parents are replaying moments in your head where you have provoked your children to anger. I know this week, as I've prepped this message, I've replayed many moments in my head of moments that I've provoked my children to anger, where in my own anger at their disobedience or whatever it is, I have sought to make them feel the way I feel right now with a cutting word or a character flaw that I'm going to put upon you, not talking about your behavior, but about who you are as a person or with raising my voice and intimidating because though not for long, I am still larger than my children, but it won't be very long before they're larger than me. But those are the things, right, that we're replaying in our head now because we've all done those. When Paul says, do not do this, we have to remember all of the scriptures, right? Paul is speaking on the back half of a ton of places in which he said very clearly, the pathway forward in salvation and holiness is grace. So when he says, do not do this, he does not mean, if you've done this, you are so far gone that you cannot come back and change and grow. Of course not. When Paul or the Lord says, do not do this, what he says is, when you do this, repent and come back. And then do not do this because you belong to the Lord. So what's the pathway forward then? If we want our our children to learn how to obey better and we want to learn how to be better parents and those in authority, I said the pathway is that we all need to act more like children. Well, how so? Because that seems like exactly the opposite advice that Paul's giving here. He's saying, fathers, nurture your children, right? Seems like act more like an adult and then you'll be fine. But actually, we need to act more like children, children of God. So many of our ailments in life and parenting is because we're seeking to fill some void left by our parents or by others that only God can fill. We're all searching for home, and we keep trying to make it there through our own efforts. When we're seeking to take 
this thing that we're searching for from our children, it often takes itself in two extremes that we can see play out all over our culture. One extreme is living my life through my kids, right? Like I failed as an athlete and so I want my kids to do really well. So I'm going to go crazy in trying to get them to do well in athletics, right? And probably going to scream at some umpires too, right? And probably going to rearrange my entire life so that you make it to this little league game or whatever it is. Maybe it's because my children really enjoy this and I'm trying to parent them well, or maybe it's because I'm trying to live my unsuccessful life through their success. The other extreme is domineering over children, seeking to put them in their place to the level of abuse because we're seeking to take from them what was taken from us by our parents or by someone else in our life. And everything in between these two extremes, the idolatry of our children and neglect of them, is where we find our struggle. And we find that our children or those under our authority don't respond the way we want them to. And you know what we do then? We provoke them to anger. Because when our idol doesn't act the way we want it to, we want, it, we want to yell at it. We want to make it feel the way we feel. So all of our ailments come because we actually are seeking to take our junk out on our children rather than take our junk to the Lord. Take the junk of our heart to the Lord and have him heal that. We actually seek to find our healing while we parent, while we exercise authority, rather than seek our healing from somewhere else. And then come with just nourishment and giving to our children. You see, we need to actually be able to come to God as Father with our fears, our concerns, our sins, our hopes, our dreams, our tears, with all of us. If we're going to nourish others well, we first need to come and be nourished. We need to learn that the gospel has welcomed us home. That because of God's love for the world, he sent his son to die for us so that we could take a place alongside God's beloved son, Jesus, and indeed a brother and sister of Christ as beloved sons and daughters of the king. And that he sent his spirit to us to assure us of this great love in the gospel. Friends, if you have repented of your sins and are trusting in Jesus and him alone for salvation, this title of son or daughter is yours. If you're going to be in a place where you are going to exercise any authority, and in particular parental authority, you need to have a place in which you know you can come and talk to your father. Where you can be welcomed home and loved where you can truly be a child. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says this. So you have received a spirit. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. 
And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. If you remember back earlier in the book of Ephesians, we talked about the triune God and his glory. That God is more glorious than anything in all the universe. You are an heir to his glory. You are an heir to God's glory because you belong to Jesus. You are a son or a daughter of the king. Abba, father. This word Abba is, is really, it's an Aramaic word that was like transliterated into Greek. So they just used the Aramaic letters and they just used Greek letters to make it. So they made up the word really, right? It doesn't exist in Greek. But it's what one dictionary, one theological dictionary calls a nursery language. It's the language of small children. Extremely intimate language. Daddy, Papa, Dad. Familiar without being irreverent. That's the language that you get with your Heavenly Father. Familiar without being irreverent. Nursery language. If you're going to love others well, you need to be loved. You need to have a place where you can be a helpless, innocent child. Sharing the real stuff that you don't want to share with anyone. Let's be honest, folks. All of us as adults, we have these moments where we just want Someone who knows what they're doing to parent us. Right? When we were in uh, Florida this past uh, week, or not this week, but the week before, I was at, we were at a theme park and I saw somebody wearing a t-shirt that was a, like a review and it just had one star and it said adulting. Don't recommend it. And it was like, yeah, I feel that. That's good. Right? We all feel that of like, Can someone just come and make things right for me? That's what you have in your heavenly father. You have a place where you can be totally honest, totally childlike. Right? Those of you who are parents of young kids, you know exactly this moment where your child comes in fear or desperation and they just want you to hug them. They just want you to hold them. That's all they want. That's what the Spirit of God exists for you to do with your Heavenly Father. The Spirit of God exists and was, came, was sent by the Lord to assure you that you can come like a fearful child to your Heavenly Father and He will hold you close. That you can say, Abba, Father. So the question for you is, will you allow yourself to be loved by God? Will you allow yourself to be fathered by God? Will you allow yourself to be sung to, to be nurtured, to be nourished, to be cherished? Will you allow yourself to be like a newborn held by their father for the first time? Never disobeyed, never harmed, never kept us from sleep, never, like any of that, right? Just holding 
and cherishing. So with the Spirit of God is in you to make you experience from your Heavenly Father. Perhaps the best parenting book uh, that we need then is, is actually this book, uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. Um, so uh, I think Cammie is the one that first recommended this book to me, um, and I read it uh, over a, uh, a retreat. It's real thin, so you can read it in like a day. Um, if, if you're doing nothing else, but you know, it'll take you a little bit of time, but, but it's also so thick and wonderful. I highly recommend this. And what I love about this book, um, about learning how to be a parent well is, well, it's not a book on parenting at all, but, uh, and Henry Nouwen was a, a Catholic priest and theologian who, uh, right. He, he was celibate his whole life, never fathered. Uh, and uh, never was married and never fathered, but he talks about becoming a spiritual father in this book. Um, Henry now was a gifted theologian teacher, would travel all across the world, and nearing the end of his life, he felt called by God to go to a uh, a facility, uh, like a a community in which uh, he was basically a chaplain for those with intellectual and developmental uh, disabilities. Left his teaching career, left his, like, fame, whatever, and just spent the rest of his life as a chaplain for these folks. And this book talks about some of those, some of those experiences in the midst of that uh, and looks at uh, the, the, the story of the prodigal son. Um, but it's just so phenomenal. And I was trying to pick, I had to edit, even this morning, I had like seven quotes or something like that. And I was like, I can't do that. So I think I just have two. Um, so he talks about, in, in this first one, he's uh, talking about the, the younger son. If you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son, right, that Jesus tells, there's a, a son who leaves and goes away and squanders all of uh, his inheritance and then comes back and the father welcomes him home. And then there's an elder son who uh, is, is very upset that the younger son who squandered everything is welcomed home. And the book and the parable both deal with the elder son and the younger son. And the father. Uh, and so he's talking about this need for us to come home. Uh, the younger son, when he's away, he says, I'm going to come home and I'm going to be a hired servant for my father. Like, even the hired servants are better than what I'm being treated now. So I'm going to come home and I'm going to tell him, I've totally messed up, but I'm not worthy to be your son. Let me just work in your fields. And so now in is speaking about his own experience with this. He says, yes, I am coming. I'm going home. But why all this preparation of speeches which will never be delivered? The reason is clear. Although claiming my true identity as a child of God, I still live as though the God to whom I am returning demands an explanation. I still think about his love as conditional and about home as a place I am not yet fully sure of. While walking home, I keep entertaining doubts about whether I will be truly welcome when I get there. As I look at my spiritual journey, my long and fatiguing trip home, I see how full it is of guilt about the past and worries about the future. I realize my failures and know that I have lost the dignity of my sonship. But I am not yet able to fully believe that where my failings are, grace is always greater. Still clinging to my sense of worthlessness, I project for myself a place far below that which belongs to the Son. Belief in total, absolute forgiveness does not come readily. My human experience tells me that forgiveness boils down to the willingness of the other to forego revenge and to show some measure of charity. 
And yet, he goes on to say, if you skip to the next one, here lies the hidden great call to conversion in terms of understanding forgiveness. To look not with the eyes of my own low self-esteem, but with the eyes of God's love. As long as I keep looking at God as a landowner, as a father who wants to get the most out of me for the least cost, I cannot but become jealous, bitter, and resentful toward my fellow workers or my brothers and sisters or my children or anyone who's under my authority. But if I am able to look at the world with the eyes of God's love and discover that God's vision is not that of a stereotypical landowner or patriarch, but rather that of an all-giving and forgiving father who does not measure out his love to his children according to how well they behave, then I quickly see that my only true response can be deep gratitude. If we are to grow as those who nurture, we first need to be able to be nurtured. If we're going to grow as those who can love unconditionally, we first need to be loved unconditionally. To welcome others home, whether it's to your earthly family or to this spiritual family. To welcome those who are broken and hurting. To welcome those who disobey and are difficult. Which, if we're honest, we really all are. Some of us are just better at hiding it. To welcome those type of folks, our type of folks, to welcome me, we first need to be welcomed home. To rejoice with others, we first need to know of the Father singing over us. I'm going to end this sermon with our call to worship passage, Zephaniah chapter 3. This verse, as I said, it was one of my favorites. It is the one that I return to all the time because it's so profoundly unlike anything I've experienced. You know, when we first hear the gospel, we think, this is good news because I'm a sinner and God forgives me. But He might forgive me, but I don't really think He likes me. I don't really think He likes being around me. He's forgiven me, but does He really know what I've done? Because if He really knew what I've done, He would be like I am with my children when I forgive them. Which is, hey, stay over there for a while because I need to cool off. Right? That's what we think God is like. That only you can come when you're obedient. You can only come when you've done everything right. And if He forgives, that's all He does. Is forgive, but keep me at arm's length. But that's not what the Gospel says. The Gospel says, Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove His hand of judgment. He will disperse the armies of your enemy. And the Lord Himself, the King of Israel, will live among you. At last, your troubles will be over and you will never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, Cheer up, Zion. Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He is living among you and He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. 
You know, we gather here every Sunday to sing songs to the Lord. But the most often sung things in the universe is the Father singing over you. Constantly. He is constantly holding you close, singing over you as his children. We gather here to sing to him only because he is singing over us. We need to live our lives in response to his joyful song over us. Let's pray together. Father, would you, by your spirit, bring this to our hearts? No matter how many times we say it, we can't do the work to make our hearts feel this. Only you, Spirit, can be at work to assure us. So many of us come from different places. We're all hitting this text in a different way. Spirit, would you come and would you assure us as your promise in your word that we could cry out, Abba, Father. Come near to us and assure us of your love so that we would come and live boldly Loving boldly, caring well, nourishing everyone in our path because we've been so loved. Jesus, do this for your glory and honor. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.